Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting MarketFoolery, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. Post a job today at linkedin.com fool and get $50 off your first job post. It's Tuesday, March 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analysts Andy Cross and Emily Flippin. Welcome. How are we doing? Mac, we're great. Yeah, doing great. Good morning. I love being on the show with Emily, so this is a real treat for me. <laughs> we Thank don't get you. to do it often, I know, do it's we? it's great. This is great. Looking well, forward to it. Well, good. Well, let's make the magic happen, okay? And we've got a lot of magic here. We're going to talk some Netflix and Apple. Not playing well together, but mm-hmm. we'll get to that. But we begin with marijuana stocks. Canadian cannabis producer Tilray down a bit on earnings. Now, Emily, this was after they reported that sales nearly tripled but they also reported a wider than expected loss. So this company is losing a lot of money. And I want to get your take on Tilray. But first, a quick walk down memory lane. The company went public back in July, 52 week low of around $20 a share, high of around $300 a share. Today, the stock trades in the 70s. What do you think? Well, let's be clear. When we talk about sales growth, their sales growth is only up about 55% quarter over quarter, which might sound good to somebody who's comparing the marijuana industry to the retail industry or something along those lines. But competitors were growing faster than Tilray. So while the top line seems to be growing strong, when you look at how that's actually flowing down to the bottom line and how that impacts investors, it's a much different story. I think when you look at Tilray as a company, the biggest thing that would concern me, and I'm not a shareholder, actually, it's on the avoid list for our marijuana service here. So I'm not a huge fan, and they're going to put that out there. Um, (laughs) But they issued $420 million worth of convertible debt, and that's virtually all of the cash that they have, and they're burning cash. So to me, it's like they're taking a lot of moves that are diluting shareholder value, all while trading at a price to sales ratio of 160 times. I mean, it's Wait, insanity. I'm sorry. Is that, is that expensive? 160 times revenues? <laughs> well, it's a little more pricey than I'd like to pay, <laughs> to say the least. Just a reference, like the S and P trades at like two and a half times sales. Yes, exactly. So, now, so I mean, granted, is... Tilray is growing far faster okay. than the S and P. So richly valued. Richly valued. Yes, <laughs> which, which is a generous way to yeah. describe it. Uh, but ultimately. The issue then becomes, okay, there's a lot of premium priced in to Tilray and where investors expect Tilray to go. And they're still burning through cash. How much longer they can do that? Well, now they have all this debt. So we know at least a little while longer. But the concern there being that, you know, a lot of these stocks, Tilray included, are just flying high on valuations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as an investor, it makes me extremely nervous. Okay, so I hear some healthy skepticism. Is that fair? Um, you know, probably an extra dose. There's, okay. there's some yeah, extra healthy. Skepticism. But what's what's the good news? If if you were to take the other side of this, mm-hmm. and having just heard what you said, if five years from now this stock and this company is wildly successful, what happened? What'd you miss? There, well, I think. There's many things that could be missing. The two biggest things to me, the first one are the key alliances in this space. So, you know, Tilray has done a great job of, of setting up some key alliances. Everybody's kind of familiar with Anheuser-Busch and their push into the CBD beverage industry, but they also further their alliance with Sandoz, a you know, drug maker. So, you know, the, the cannabis space in general depends a lot on expanding those relationships, and Tilray has managed to do that. Also, nobody really knows how large the marijuana industry is. And so, if it turns out that you know this industry is huge, which it very well could be, until Ray becomes the su- 
you know, the main supplier of medical cannabis and recreational cannabis, both of which they were selling last quarter, uh, then it can mean that this valuation is somewhat deserved. And Andy, along those lines, Tilray CEO says that this is a quote: "We're still in the early stages of the global transformation." of a $150 billion worldwide industry. Well, he, he hopes so. I think he, he owns a majority of the stock um, through an investment vehicle and on his own. So, he's got a lot riding on this and his reputation and the business. And clearly, when you think about the push, both certainly in Canada, also in the United States, and the move towards um, uh, medicinal and recreation um, cannabis use uh, in all, all forms, the market as Emily said, we don't know exactly how large it is, but we're in an early stage. So, finding growth companies that can truly benefit from that kind of investment and that kind of growth in consumer behavior, is a, it could be a very profitable way to make an investment. I will say, as we talked about with a company like Tilray, that is on our avoid list because of the valuation. Uh, the volatility around this business, around these markets, is going to be exceptional. And so, if you are investing into the cannabis space, as we talked a lot about in our uh, services, uh, Emily, that Emily helps lead, uh, you have to be prepared for the volatility because it will come. So, and and speaking of that, I mentioned earlier the stock price. So, 52-week low of around 20, 52-week high of around 300. Today in the seventies, so you're saying that I should not anchor to that three hundred, right? Oh, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> not definitely not yeah. necessarily a bargain at seventy. Definitely not. When you just compare it to to other stocks in, in your portfolio, um, this will be uh, this will be probably a stock like this will definitely be one of the more volatile in the space. Okay, let's broaden it out a bit and talk about the industry in general. Marijuana now legal in Canada, but under federal law, Emily and Andy, it is still illegal in the U.S. But and there's a but here. Medical marijuana legal in 33 states plus DC. Recreational marijuana legal in 10 states plus DC. About to be 11, too, it seems, like with New Jersey. So the United States is rapidly moving towards legalization. And I've said this reckless prediction a few times, but my theory is that by 2020, we have federally legal. Uh, recreational marijuana. I don't think a single presidential candidate is going to run on the platform of of keeping marijuana recreationally illegal. It's going to be such a hot button issue. That being said, you know it is still federally illegal, and so a lot of these companies right now are operating in a you know pressured environment to say the least. But as states begin to loosen their reins, and as these companies get more opportunities to expand, there is going to be a shakeout in the industry. You're going to be able to see which companies you know really have the chops to perform in what will likely be an extremely low margin business, mm -hmm. and which ones simply don't have the gall or the capital to sustain themselves. Okay, well that is a beautiful setup for my new game, I call it very concerning, somewhat concerning, or not at all concerning. Okay, you ready? As an investor, I'm going to spot you up with something involving the marijuana industry, and I want you to know, I want you to tell me whether it's very concerning, somewhat concerning, or not at all concerning. And let's begin with what Emily just mentioned, marijuana being illegal at the federal level. Not at all concerning. Not at all concerning. Marijuana stock valuations. Very concerning. Very concerning. <laughs> Number of competitors. 
somewhat concerning. Yeah, I'm neutral, somewhat concerning, I guess. I think it'll be interesting to see how, Emily mentioned this with the consumer products, goods companies um, getting more involved potentially into the space. Um, we saw a company like Philip Morris actually make a big investment in Juul, which is an e-cigarette company, so um, pushing for different ways to be able to grow their brand. So, the large players, how do they play into the cannabis space? And at our recent Motley Fool event in Austin, Andy, um, Bill Mann mentioned that he thought Philip Morris could end up being one of the ultimate winners in the space. Do you agree with that? Could be, maybe. I, I don't know if I necessarily have that much vision or confidence in that statement. I mean, I respect Bill, but um, I think Philip Those Morris... fighting words. Phil, yes, exactly. Respecting <laughs> Bill Mann. No, I'm joking. I love Bill. Uh, when I think about the profitability of Philip Morris, the amount of capital they can they generate and put to invest, and the fact that their core market is obviously shrinking, um, and they made this big investment into the Jewel e-cigarette, they bought 35% for I think 12 or 13 billion dollars. They they will put capital to work where they think they can get a return. I don't know if it's them or if it's another one of the of the um, consumer products goods companies. For me, the competition it's it's twofold. You're going to have really because it is a consumer product company, your or industry. You're going to have extreme competition for brands, and to me, what's going to make marijuana really interesting is you know I'm a believer in the fact that the recreational use is going to be the biggest driver of sales yeah. moving forward. So it comes down to you know as consumers how you buy and consume marijuana, and. For me, that a lot of it depends on brand. Same is true for for marijuana, you know, THC products, also just CBD products. It requires that company to have a really strong brand, that has loyal customers coming back, possibly paying paying a premium for their products. And then you have this entire other collection of companies which don't really have the same competition because they're ancillary. Mm-hmm. So we talk about alcohol companies being, uh, you know, some of those companies that are exposed to the marijuana industry with the potential for for infused beverages. Companies that focus on dehydrating mar- marijuana products. Companies that focus on packaging marijuana products. All of these companies that don't necessarily physically own and grow marijuana or try to sell marijuana, but help companies that do. So competition. It is concerning in the sense that it's going to be stiff competition for those pure play marijuana companies. But I only say somewhat concerning because there's a lot of companies out there that are poised to succeed uh, that don't necessarily have that same intense competition that we're seeing. I think that's such an interesting point, Emily, because I think maybe a lot of listeners and investors or just consumers may just think of um, marijuana as um, uh, kind of a commodity um, offering. And what Emily was just saying is that it's really going to be um, come down to brands and packaging and products that is going to change the landscape over the next 10 years as it becomes eventually legal here uh, from a recreation um, perspective um, nationally. So, I think those kind of companies. That's why I think Bill was saying Philip Morris, which specializes in <laughs> brands, um, and uh, will be a, a ultimate beneficiary. I think there's there's there, that's very likelihood. I just don't know if it's it's a definite. Okay, so as we wrap this up, Emily, you mentioned that Tilray is on our avoid list. If you're an investor looking at this space, what's the best way to invest in cannabis and marijuana? Well, the important thing is to take, I would say, a basket approach. Uh, at this point, trying to sift the diamonds from the rough is a challenge. Um, you can see companies that are well-run, that you really have inspirational leadership, doing very poorly in the space, even getting pushed out of the space. So, if I was investing in marijuana, and I, and I am as part of the marijuana service, the important thing for me to remind investors is don't buy one or two companies like Tilray and Canopy and say, oh, look, I have this amazing exposure to the marijuana industry, because what you actually have is extremely 
narrow exposure to one small slice of what could be a huge industry. So take a basket approach, buy you know, the upstream, buy the downstream, buy the ancillaries, buy the picks and shovels along with the pure plays. Um, and that's your best way to, to long-term make money in the space. Okay, well, before we get to our next story, I want to say thanks to LinkedIn. Now, Andy, I know you are involved in our hiring, and a lot of our hiring comes via LinkedIn. Yeah, we get a lot of great traffic from LinkedIn, and it's a great spot to find analysts and investors who are interested in investing and what they're talking about, not just their resumes, but just get a sense of their personalities. So it's just a good spot to find another place of investors might be that might want to work at The Motley Fool. Well, it is a good spot, Andy. And if you want to find the best person for the job, odds are that that person is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers like they do here at The Motley Fool. So LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and looking for, which means when you use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than a resume. Your matches are based on skills and backgrounds, sure, but also interest, activities, and passions. And customers rate LinkedIn number one in delivering quality job opportunities. Andy, that's sure been our experience. Yeah, it's been great. It's a great spot to find other investors and what they're talking about. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, as we wrap up here, let's talk some Apple and Netflix. Now, Apple expected to announce a television and video service at an event on Monday. And we now know that Netflix will not be part of Apple's service. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings saying, we prefer to let our customers watch our content on our service. Andy, is that a surprise? What should we make of that? It's not a surprise, Mac. I know we're in the middle of March Madness here, but I was thinking this is basically Netflix giving a little bit of the Heisman to Apple um, today. Not, Although it's not a surprise, Emily and I were talking about this. Um, Netflix didn't sign up for Apple's TV Guide service when they launched that a couple years ago. Uh, they they partner with Apple, certainly, on the different devices that Apple offers. You can get the, the Netflix application. But really, Reed Hastings, I think, taking the opportunity to say, we have 100 million-plus subscribers around the world. Um, we're big international. We spend $1.2 billion a year on technology, $10 billion on probably video programming, 8 to $12 billion per year on video programming, um, focusing really on building a unique, um, original programming enterprise and seeing what Apple's doing and saying, hey, we don't need that. We have, we're connected to about 600 million devices around the world. So, um, hey, we, we have our space, we have our programming, we have our plan, we have our investments we're making, we have our partnerships. So, we don't need this one with Apple. Okay, so when we look at this space, we know that later this year, Disney coming out with their streaming service, Disney+. Plus. So, you're going to have Apple with their video streaming offering, you have Netflix, obviously, and you have Disney. So, you've got some real titans Oh, and that's you have just, Amazon. That's I mean, you have and, Hulu, and, and you Hulu, have Warner Media, these, yes. you have ESPN Plus, you have Showtime, Stars, CBS All Access. Some of those are are partnering with Apple and will be on the Apple. Apparently, will be on the Apple um, streaming platform. But yes, a lot of competition, Mac. So, so when when you when you look at it that way, Andy, do you do you, is Netflix? You still bet on the leader in the clubhouse, or do you think someone like Disney could be underestimated? No, I well, I think Disney could be underestimated. That obviously is going to be a key. 
one to watch. Um, and as we just, as I just mentioned, all these different um, competitors that are out there. But here's a couple of things that I think why Netflix continues to win in this space. Um, international programming. So a lot of their growth is coming from international, not just from subscriber growth, but also from programming. They've been very careful and very um, diligent on developing international programming, both uh, U.S. that can go internationally and specifically in the country. We've been working with with different guidelines, different um, regulations in those countries on how much programming has to be done in country and to serve those those consumers in that country who want in-country programming. So Netflix has years of history running behind this. So that's one reason. Um, another reason is they have the technology and the data platform, and sorry, the data on their platform and the consumer behavior insights that nobody else has, not even Apple, frankly, when it comes to this kind of programming. So they have these insights. They can launch these programs and they, they're launching a lot of them every year. I mean, just a lot of original programming onto the platform. They're gathering data. They are changing the terms that sometimes they will run for a couple of years, pull them off, um, have specific um, uh, rules on where they can else go to shop that um, into another streaming service. So they're very particular about that. So they have a lot of this history that I think gives them a runway that continues to be able to propel their growth. Now, yes, they do have more and more competition. Reed said yesterday that, hey, we welcome the competition. I think that's kind of a... Uh, true line, that uh, tried and true line that he has said before, um, and not the only one, other, others talk about this, um, that the competition is healthy for their industry. Uh, clearly, these are some very big, well-funded guns. I mean, Apple generates $60 billion in profits a year and has $85 billion on the balance sheet. So, this is a very well, as Reed said, very well-funded enterprise that is going to put a lot more money. They originally set a budget, I think, for a billion in programming. And they quickly blew through that. They're building a whole studio or have built a whole headquarters in Culver City, California. So clearly Apple making a lot of investments in this space. Yeah, before we came on the show, I made little notes about some topics I might talk about, you know, this being one of them. And the only thing I wrote down was, am I supposed to be surprised by this? Are we supposed to be surprised by this? Of course, Netflix wants to keep streaming on their own platform. And to Andy's point about a lot of the growth propellers being international content, I couldn't agree more. And I think, unfortunately, you know, a lot of U.S. investors have a very U.S.-focused mindset about the future of streaming. And in reality, Netflix has done a superb job of not only getting international followers for their content, yep. the subscribers, but actually building out international content. Um, you know, I spend a lot of my time looking at Chinese companies. So one Chinese company that's popular around here is iQiyi, which is the Chinese, it's often called the Netflix mm -hmm. of China, but it's a Chinese streaming site, which is kind of like half YouTube, half Netflix. And there's a popular Netflix Chinese show produced on mainland China um, that Netflix has. And it's mentioned all the time on the free side of IHE. People love it. But IHE doesn't have the content for it. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have it in their own home country, a Chinese based company. And that to me just shows you the power of leverage that Netflix has. And the last time I checked, I think Netflix is still blocked in China. Could yes, be they wrong still are. about no, that. There are 190 I mean, countries, but not think in China. about that. Yeah. They are making money producing yeah. content in mainland China spoken or written in simplified yeah. Chinese, so only spoken and used mm -hmm. on the mainland, and they're the only ones who have that content. You I know, mean, that is power. I think what is really interesting, you look at some of the um, 
actresses and actors and directors who are tied into the Apple ecosystem. Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston, M. Night Shyamalan, Steven Spielberg. It will be very interesting. And then you look at Netflix with Shonda Rhimes and a few others. It will be very interesting to see how these producers of content, these creative, um, uh, creative folks put their content and want to put their content and want to work with the likes of Apple or Hulu or Netflix or Disney or CBS All Access, wherever it might be, and they think about what kind of flags they are planting in these com- into these companies and these streaming platforms, and importantly, whether those are restrictive, whether they're unique or not, and how those deals get arranged. Because that will be really critical for these services to be able to continue to produce the original programming that consumers want. Okay, so as we wrap up, I've got to ask the question that everyone, I think, is asking. How about one new show recommendation? It it doesn't have to be a new show, but just how about a show that we should watch? Well, it's funny you ask, because last night I was kind of scrolling through Netflix with a little bit of my free time, and I actually feel like I've seen a lot of Netflix shows at this point, but one I hadn't seen that just kept popping up. You know how Netflix will, will keep showing you trailers and stuff until you watch it? Well, it was Terrace House, and I've never heard of this, mm. but it was picked up by Netflix. It's a Japanese TV show, actually. It's possibly the most boring TV show that has ever existed. I mean, it's literally, they just put six people in a house, and there's no competition, there's no challenges. You just watch them talk about how their days went. I just had but a I friend, watched like I, two episodes. I just had a friend recommend that. Really? Yes, yes. It's, it's weirdly addictive, I will okay. say that. Although reading the subtitles is a little exhausting if you're looking boring, for casual Boring, but addictive. Yeah. I like that combination. Andy, what do you got? Well, my family and I are headed, heading over to London for spring break, the first, the kids' first international um, trip. And so nice. last night I was getting all ready for the trip and had Netflix on, and I do not watch a lot of Netflix. And like Emily, I was scrolling through and I was amazed at all the original programming. And then came across one show that I did read about that I want to read, which is The Bodyguard, which is about a... Not the Whitney Houston one. Not right? the, definitely not the Whitney Houston one. Nothing against that. I think that was a fine movie. Kevin Costner. But this is, this is, um, this is more... By the way, they, Kevin Costner has a new show on, um, on Netflix about the um, Texas Rangers that hunted down Bonnie and Clyde. It's coming out later this is, month. Is he in it? He is in it with Pass. Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. Oh, now you it looks had to pretty good. That. Now, now, but I'm, but that actually is wow. not the one I was talking about. Mac. Okay. The Bodyguard um, is about a former um, British uh, uh, Army um, uh, person who now is the bodyguard for the Prime Minister, and it looks really quite politically intriguing. Okay, The Bodyguard. Okay, well, a show. It's not a new show, but my favorite show on Amazon Prime, Atlanta. Donald Glover, um, a.k.a. the Childish Gambino. It's so, so good. Season one's incredible. Season two is totally different than season one and just spectacular. It's maybe, maybe Breaking Bad good. Maybe better than Breaking Bad. It's, I've only seen one or two episodes and it looks phenomenal. Ah, so good. Yeah. Okay, Desert Island question. We are on a desert island. Just just go with it. You know, That's my question. Okay, you're on a desert island. For the next five years, you can own only one of these stocks. What are you going with? We've got Tilray. We've got a cannabis basket. We're going to throw that in. Ooh. We've got Netflix or Apple. Well, I'm going to take 100% of my assets and immediately put them into Tilray. It's down 2%, <laughs> so this is an amazing buying opportunity. No, I'm joking. Okay. I'm totally joking. When I put that out that there, if you heard joke. that, do not buy. <laughs> yes. um, I would actually probably go with the marijuana basket. Um, I love spending time looking at growth companies, and the marijuana industry mm. as a whole is a growth industry. So I think if you're smart about the way you invest in the space, there's a lot of money to be made. 
That sounds like that is a tasty offering. I was looking at that, but I think I'm going to stick with Netflix. I own it personally. I think while um, the with growth rates north of 30 percent and the investments they're making, I think long term in this space they continue to be a winner. Okay. Well, I'm still thinking about the Kevin Costner Woody Harrelson combo. It looks and it looks great. I love Kevin Costner and Bull Durham, but um, after that, I think he had some misfires. I know. Well, he definitely you know? did. But this tin one, cup, tin cup, uh, yeah, Andy, come yeah, on. Yeah, this but one. Woody Harrelson yeah. makes everything yeah. good. Yeah, but do you, have you did you see have you seen Molly's Game? No, Molly's Game. He's in there as the father of okay. uh, Molly. So he, this one looks very good. They hunt down Bonnie and Clyde. Okay, I'm open to it. Well, Andy, Emily, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.